Hi everyone and welcome to Marketplace Jungle where we explore the world of marketplaces beyond Amazon. Brought to you by eChameleon, I'm your host, Jesse Rag. Malta Karsten is currently head of acquisition at the Berlin Brands Group, one of Europe's largest aggregators of marketplace brands. But that's just the latest step in an e-commerce career spanning almost as long as I've been alive. If it's a marketplace, odds are that Malta has probably sold on it worked with them, consulted with them, or helped brands figure out how to sell there. So the breadth and depth of his marketplace expertise, particularly on using marketplaces as a tool for international expansion, is incredible. In this episode, expect to learn how Berlin Brands Group decides which brands to acquire and what it does with them after acquisition, what to think about when expanding to South America how the Berlin Brands Group manages to sell on over a hundred marketplaces, the pros and cons of marketplace-supported fulfillment, who should take ownership of the marketplace element of your business, and much more. Okay, Malta, we are live. Thank you very much for joining on Marketplace Jungle, where we like to talk about marketplaces outside of the world of Amazon. Before we jump into the conversation, I'd love to give you a few moments to introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about Malta as a person, Malta as a consultant, how you've ended up in this world of e-commerce and specifically marketplaces. And maybe we can also talk a little bit about what's brought you here today, where your, where your actual expertise is. Yeah. Hello, Jesse. Hi. Um, thanks for having me here today. It's, um. Yeah, indeed. Marketplace, uh, that's quite a good fit and that's quite a good headline because when I started this e-commerce thing out of my study day, let's say back in the middle, middle of the 90s, it was, it was indeed something, I was always marketplace focused. I always took a, took a detour when it comes to, when it came to a shop or something, to an own shop and so on. So. I was always like checking, first of all, back in the days, okay, in the US, there is this Amazon thing, eBay thing, that's a great opportunity. When they came over here to Europe, I jumped on that train and, um, quickly I was also looking like internationally towards other marketplaces. My companies were pretty much growing at the beginning of the 2000s and, um, we were, for example, the first, first guys, um, on Amazon Japan. We went into Linio and Mercado Libre in South America when others here in Europe maybe even did not know about those platforms. Take a lot in South Africa. It's such an example, Jumia in Nigeria and so on. There are lots of platforms beyond the typical Amazon and eBay um, locals. That was, yeah, indeed my scope in 2018, exited from my companies and uh, to a big player and then started the consultancy approach. Basically lots of uh, mandates the, the longest one since then is the, is the BPG, um, but also others in between. It's always, you know, like give and take, it's learning, seeing new things, sharing knowledge, driving progress for those players. And that's basically the journey until today, like that you can pretty much say like 25 years marketplaces. Say. B BBG for anyone who doesn't know being the Berlin brands group. So am I, I'm right in thinking that, that there's one of, if not the biggest 
aggregator of marketplace brands in certainly in Germany, if not um, in Europe, it's 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 quite far up the list there. And can you maybe name some of the brands that are part of the BBG portfolio that people might recognize? Yeah, it's it, it native e-commerce brands, right? Um, so you basically won't find them in stores, maybe in East, Eastern Europe sometimes. I've, uh, I've heard of about things. But basically, Klarstein as a, as a native and really huge e-commerce brand. There's also more. There's Bloomfeld and it's, it's about certain categories, capital sports and stuff. That's the brands the BBG created from scratch since 2005, right? This is, there are 14, 15, 16, 17 brands the BBG created um, themselves. And then we are moving over to this um, aggregator thing, right? And since 2020, there are also brand joining the BBG brand family. And they are like, I don't know how many, but it must be high two-digit um, number actually already, right? So of the BBG, um, so the BBG business model, as I understand it, when they're acquiring these brands and also of their own brands that they've built up from, from nothing, it's not just Amazon-focused. Um, maybe you can tell me a little bit about which marketplaces BBG is selling on. I don't know if you've got any information that you can share around the, the sort of percentage approximately how much is from amazon versus non-amazon how much is germany compared to the rest of the world so indeed bbg is maybe the ideal example of multi-channel marketplaces beyond amazon and ebay it's maybe the ideal player they are on 100 platforms 100 plus they have everything you can like let's say imagine in europe right from from emac allegro to FNAC that is actually acquired, right? So it's like changing the Starty thing in France. Of course, the Ebays, Otto, everything you can imagine. Like Price Minister is pretty small already. Many, many platforms plus the own shops. Yeah, if you go into Klarstein shop, then you see all the different flags. It's real, real, um, country pages yeah, with customer service in relevant languages, natives, um, and the general share between Amazon and the rest might be 40, 60, maybe 40 Amazon, 60 other marketplaces, own shops, platforms, and so on. So that's, that's very quite, um, yeah, quite significant if you compare to the rest of the space, right? Yeah, well, something I see a lot, and one of the main reasons for starting this podcast in particular, but also for eChameleon, we really try and make it easy for people to not become reliant on Amazon. Something that you see a lot is a successful Amazon business where 99% of their turnover comes from Amazon. And that's a very dangerous position to be in because you just need to do one thing wrong and your account's suspended and it's all over. And I always tell people that Amazon being what it is, you're never going to replace, you're never going to have a second Amazon, but the goal really should be to have as many other channels that you can have just as much revenue, if not more revenue coming in from these other channels as you do from Amazon. And obviously that's going to be category specific. If you're in a fashion category, 
you've got a lot more options or if you're in sports and you've got you know big names like decathlon that you can be selling the products on it's a lot easier than if you're selling say collectibles or secondhand goods yeah but that's a really interesting figure that you said you know 100 plus platforms was what it took for bbg to get that split where non-amazon is more than amazon oh yeah i mean and, and generally i want to would, would like to go back to to what you've said first of all i mean in, indeed, it is the right approach to say, okay, Amazon alone and you are lost. Um, if you focus on Amazon, then you're lost if something goes wrong, right? Before I met the BBG, I was a little bit under the impression that being successful on other marketplaces beyond Amazon is really hard to achieve. Yeah, it is like it's some sort of a, an extra, it's some sort of a plus, it's some sort of an add-on. Um, but BBG is clearly focused and is pretty strong, especially in the own shops, but also on other marketplaces. So it works. It is possible. Question is whether it is possible at a certain extent, or if you reach a certain size and a certain dimension, if you are like multi 100 million company, yeah, um, or is it really possible if you're a small player and um, the question of the scope when you start, right? Because the danger is that if you start something and you spread it all over the place and say one here, one there, one there, then you, that you are not relevant for the, for the marketplace, right? That, you are, that your account is not relevant for the particular platform, right? If it's bits and peanuts everywhere. So um, there is, in the, at least in the beginning, there is some sort of a demand in terms of focusing, right? And, and being relevant, a relevant player, because you know, there's a higher service level and a better acceptance from the market perspective. So how does it look at BBG? How many people are there working across these marketplace and non-marketplace channels? Is it the same people working on every brand or does each brand have its own team where you've got a, a similar setup of own store versus marketplace or is it Amazon and non-marketplace? Well, what does the structure look like? And I'm asking this because I'd like to try and dig into what you said there and figure out if there's a way that brands that don't have the resources of a BBG, if there's a way, if there's a formula here that we can try and emulate. I mean, the 1000 people here at the PBG, yeah, um, they are, let's say, overarching departments, yeah, like for example, you can imagine if there's a customs team, for example, right, then this customs team is taking care of customs issues across all imaginable platforms, issues and stuff. But of course, there's, for example, a brand manager that's really like dedicated to the brand, they're steering and prioritizing and, um, like leading, yeah, let's say, like a founder. Um, then there is the, can you imagine, like there is the channel management and the channel management is doing a lot of stuff across the channels, yeah, like there are pros for this particular channel or for this particular marketplace or for this particular type of something. Then there's category management. They are taking care of, like on the category um horizontal level, let's say, right? Everything that's sports related, they are fully into, right? Oh, we have to change here. We have to arrange something. There has to be a new push in terms of, you know, so there are different overlapping and overarching layers. There is then business management, then there is product management. So it's not that easy to say you, 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 it's not like that they're dedicated teams. Yeah. Let's take, for example, there's FNAC. 
And then there's a team of a certain number of people that is doing everything for Fnac. That's not how it is. It's like more generic, holistic departments taking care of all questions that are related to a certain topic all of the time, totally marketplace or, or channel agnostic. But on the other hand, there are some that are really working dedicated to certain marketplaces or channels or point of sales, how you name it. That sounds a lot more scalable than if you would have said, yep, for every product, for every brand, we hire a marketplace and Amazon and eBay, uh, Kaufland and Otto as a Lando expert, because certainly in my experience, I find that often, I mean, Amazon kind of the exception here in the sense that an Amazon expert is an Amazon expert. But if you try and put that Amazon expert behind the eBay or Zalando account, that Amazon expertise is probably going to stand in the way more than it's going to help them because they're just totally different. But what you've just described sounds like a much more scalable process in the sense that these people in the BBG team are learning not how does Fnac work, not how does Zalando work, but how do marketplaces work. And that makes it a much easier process for them to then introduce another channel into that. And obviously you're going to have language and cultural things which will come into place as well. You know, they, a Fnac expert maybe is a French native speaker compared to a trendy or expert being from Turkey. But this expertise outside of the language and cultural side of things is much more shareable. And it makes it a lot easier to put that expertise into processes when it becomes less reliant on people. Yeah, indeed. It's, it's. Of course, it is necessary that someone has to have an idea regarding return processes or certain, certain, I mean, metrics, demands when it comes to FNAC. Yeah, you have to answer within all hours or you have to, you have to fulfill that th certain threshold in FNAC and something. Yeah, someone has to have an idea. And generally, there's a customer service taking care of all the different customers' approaches, let's say. Yeah, and their requests. So, of course, native speakers for France and native speakers for Spain and so on. Um, for them, it basically, in the end, when it comes to the topic, it doesn't matter that much whether it's now a FNAC question or it is an eBay question or it's an Amazon question, right? There are certain, um, of course, there are certain thresholds beyond, yeah, um, or, or overarching, yeah, like within what time frame or whatsoever. But in generally, it doesn't matter. There's something with the product or it's too late or where's my parcel or, you know, something like this. So basically that's customer service. But when it comes to, um, metrics topics or security issues or, or complaints with the, with the marketplaces, you have to have like pros. Yes. Yeah. Like channel management. Yeah. Um, category management, it may be still not that needed that they dig that deep into a certain marketplace or a certain platform where yeah? they have to have to, they have to understand the products, country specific things, maybe are yeah? like the plug topic in the UK or different things you have to have in mind in else country. Yeah. And that's definitely something that has to be in category management, also in legal, also in product uh, teams and in, in BI teams. Um, quite sophisticated here in the BBG, right? That everyone knows, um, when to jump in and where to pull off yeah, and say, okay, it's your turn. So that's quite sophisticated. And as you said, that's then easy from an easy perspective, scalable. Yeah. That's indeed what it is. So when you brands are joining, um, 
then at least, yeah, you need a captain. That's true. Yeah, you need a brand manager. That's true. But the other teams, they all know what to do. Yeah. So is BBG looking for brands to acquire which don't have any of that in place yet? They're looking for brands which maybe perform well on Amazon, but don't have any of the other marketplaces going well, or maybe don't have their own website or... Um, or does BBG try and find brands which already have good human resources as well and bring all of that into the fold? There's no black and white. Yeah, I, I mean, the BBG is basically not really like searching for small BBGs uh, to having some sort of an uh, easy integration, as it would sound like, right? Um, of course, if there's a pure Amazon player, then there's a lot of uh, potential when it comes to scaling into marketplaces, into more uh, countries, into where, where there's no Amazon, for example, right? Um, of course. Staff, I don't know. Um, BBG is quite good, quite well staffed, and there's a lot of pros and there's a lot of um, people flying around. I don't know, but I wouldn't say like yes or no or never or always. Um, there there is not like trillions of brands out there, right? There, if, 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 if you feel that there's a certain great fit from the brand's perspective, then um, it's about trying to arrange everything around, right? To, to have like a perfect fit scenario for the founder, also for the BBG. That sounds like a good way to do it because there are a lot of aggregators who, who are very black and white. And if, it's, if you don't match the criteria, then it's... It, you won't get a look in. And, and so for, for a lot of brands that are looking to be acquired, that makes it hard because if they're trying to, you know, if they want to stay with their brand, they don't just want to completely hand over the keys and go away. If that conversation can't even be had, then it can become quite tricky for them to find a good partner to, to acquire the brand. But it sounds like BBG would be quite open to, dif open to consider different options there. Um, it's interesting though, because we, I, I mentioned before about wanting to look at how other brands could emulate what BBG does, but I'm also conscious there are, there are bigger companies looking at BBG, not from this, look, not looking up to, but potentially looking across to, or even looking down to in the sense, more traditional brands, um, who are looking at marketplaces as an opportunity to go direct to consumer for the first time. And this is obviously a trend which started around the time of COVID, um, where many traditional B2B brands started going D2C for the very first time. And these are companies that, you know, they might take 12, 18 months to decide whether or not they're even going to do marketplaces before they even begin thinking about how. And it's interesting because you just described so many different parts of all these different departments and people and expertises that all have to come together. And that's one of the biggest blockers, I think, with a, with a lot of these big companies is even if someone somewhere decides, yeah, we should go marketplaces, they have to get buy-in from legal, logistics, sales, marketing, you know, the, the vendor managers with like the big um, national supermarkets and their, you know, their big retail partners that they've got exclusive deals with. And then they've probably got local entities in each of the countries that they might want to sell on. So you can't take advantage of FBA because then Amazon might put your packages in Poland and then suddenly you're in conflict with some with the Polish arm or whatever it might be. But for these large entities that are looking at marketplaces as an option, that's a lot of different things that they've got to tick off. And then you've got someone like a BBG coming in and, and just building up this massive organization. 
almost from under them and showing them how it's done. And now you see some of these big companies like AB InBev, the, the company behind Corona, who set up their own almost incubated like mini startup alongside to take care of this whole side of uh, the whole marketplace side of things. And they gave them all the resources, but then they didn't have to deal with all the red tape. And I find that to be a really interesting way of handling marketplaces. And I'm wondering if you've had any exposure to other brands that have done that really well, that we should also be looking at to see how they're doing it. Yeah, for sure. I've done like in, in 2018, 19, um, several onboarding scenarios, right? Of those traditional companies. And I don't want to do this anymore. Right. Um, although this is of course like an interesting field, an interesting playing field, and there's a true demand out there. You're fully right. hundred percent. The problem is that most of the companies are like, as you said, like fully blocking themselves, right? Because there's politics and, and they want to, they want to do the D2C thing on those marketplaces, but they do not want to give up certain things internally, you know, when it comes to their established um, relations to some sort of partners, to some sort of supermarket chains or, or whatever point of sales out there, you know, because you're starting on Amazon and then immediately someone is coming saying, oh, there's one cent below my price. I, I don't want to buy from you anymore. And then there's huge, you know, because e-commerce, I've worked with companies with like 1 billion companies, you know, like with 5% e-commerce share at that day when I started and, and we came across like saying, okay, this cannot be right. Yeah. In terms of e-commerce share in that particular category across the country, across the world whatsoever. Um, but the entire mindset in the company was indeed e-commerce is 5%. So why should we endanger or give up something of all 95% just for that creepy new stuff there called internet or e-commerce or something? Yeah. Um, so that's why this is really a lot of fighting. That's 50% at least politics and not 50% um, like really working towards a certain goal, a certain solution. That's really hard. It's really hard work those companies have to do. And, and also for, for guys like me, like engaging there. So when you're going into these big companies and you're having to deal with these big teams, who is it that you're typically dealing with? This is a question that I ask, I find myself asking a lot and I still haven't really got a, an answer that I like. Do these traditional companies have any idea who should be picking up the marketplace side of things? Because as we said, it, it, it does cover so many parts of a business from legal to sales, to marketing, to logistics, you name it, who takes the ownership or who should take the ownership in these big companies? So basically it's, um, there is a key account manager. Yeah. And this key account manager is, um, taking care of, uh, SMR media marketer tone and is taking care of, um, Edeka. Yeah. And also Amazon. And he's the one. And he's, uh, uh, you have to talk to this guy. He's, he's the Amazon guy. Yeah. It's, it's basically then Windows central and not that much more. And, um, they are paying like, uh, a fortune for a AVS every year and something. And so this is the status quo when you look into something, 
if it's not really a real 100% onboarding scenario. This is the starting point. They do not understand, indeed, as you said, they do not understand what it, what it needs yeah, and to, to, to build up really a D2C business or to build up a certain, you can talk about Amazon seller side, 3P or whatsoever. Yeah, This is normally how a company thinks about Amazon. It's another B2B point of sale. And the, that's interesting because obviously a lot of what I would say, what I would call new marketplaces, that's how they started. You know, when you look at your Decathlon, your Media Markt, Saturn, your um, B&Q in the UK, these are all huge names, which until very recently were likely big buyers for a lot of the typical traditional brands. They were selling directly to Decathlon or to B&Q or to Kaufland or to Media Markt. And now suddenly they have an opportunity to sell on Kaufland, on Decathlon, on B&Q or whatever it might be. or whatsoever. Hmm? Exactly. And this is a, this is a very, it's a hard internal sales pitch to get people to change that way of thinking of like, okay, now we get to, now we only have to give them 15%, one five. Why are we not doing that? It's a, it seems like a no brainer for me, but a lot of them can't even figure out how to get packaged to the end consumer. So it's, uh, it's the logistics. Yeah, you have to you have to check so many boxes when you start there, right? Um, it's the logistics that it's not able to to do single item orders. Yeah, they're only used to pallets, sending it out, bop, bop, bop. So there is legal bookkeeping, not understanding what like invoice per one invoice per customer, like one 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 fifty euros, ten euros, twenty euros. No, no. <laughs> No, you know, I'm, you know, look here, I have like 15 voices a month, right? One million, one million. <laughs> so, and what, do you, like what the, do you mean we have to put the Zalando logo on the invoice? How does that uh, work? Um, your question before, who do you normally talk to? Who you do you normally work with? If I'm not talking to the CEO or, or working with a CEO or board or really C-suite top level, then I'm not taking that mandate for sure. I'm not jumping into whatever company, like talking to the head of um, today's B2B, uh, soon to be e-commerce branch or something, right? Like, so, because then you are running and also not to the head of e-commerce in generally in, in, a, in a certain company, because there is then always like some sort of cover your ass mentality. Yeah, because if you are coming into a certain department and it should work like, I mean, it should work maybe better from a certain perspective. And this is the guy who owns that topic like for the last three years. And then you are coming and do you are bringing in like new stuff, new ideas, new roadmaps, new timelines, new goals, everything. How, how to present that from his perspective to the management? Yeah, in the moment when this guy came, we had the, from this moment on, we had the idea one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and we will don't now do like this, then it looks like it's not looking that good for him. So, and I had, for example, I had once a dinner with the head of e-commerce and the, the CEO. That's a pretty tricky dinner, right? Because basically you have done some sort of an audit and you have to tell the leader of the pack what's going wrong, what could be better, how next steps should look like. And then there's the one who's actually the owner of that field, of the topic. How do you let him join without looking gray because he has not seen it coming, that this is now needed or this is next steps or whatsoever. 
this is a tricky scenario. It's also working, right? But it's only powerful and only successful if it's really like driven from the top, top, top level position in the company. Otherwise, it's the political thing that is about to die. Something that I quite often wonder is whether or not marketplaces shouldn't be something separate to e-commerce. I mean, of course, like as a, from a definition perspective, of course, it belongs to e-commerce, but a, a typical head of or director of e-commerce isn't interested in third-party channels. They're interested in their own website, maybe whether it's B2B or B2C, they're interested in brand.com. They're not interested in amazon.com slash this brand. You know, they, they, their e-commerce KPIs are all built around how well their own website's performing, but it can be very hard to, for them to then hear a criticism that's to do with something, which is actually a different, a completely different business model. The Amazon channels, the Kaufland, the Zalando, that doesn't belong to this typical e-commerce remit within these big brands. So you've worked with a lot of different marketplaces, Martin. So I'd love to change direction a little bit and just go towards marketplaces outside of Europe, because I know you've had a lot of experience in in the US and and South America as well. You mentioned Mercado Libre. Um, I'm curious for businesses that are looking at those areas for, for an expansion opportunity, do you have any advice or any tips to get around um, not just the linguistic hurdles, but also the cultural differences of, of selling online in, the, in that part of the world, the logistics sides of things. What other barriers are there to entering those markets that a European or North American seller might face? I mean, the, the most important thing, if we're talking about South America, it doesn't matter whether we are talking about Linio or Mercado Libre. Um, the most critical part of the journey is the logistics and is the customs, especially when it comes to Brazil, customs is a topic. Yeah. If you're sending like uh, two, um, two somethings, maybe just one arrives and, and the customs, uh, employee has a new, uh, one of yours, uh, in his, uh, cupboard next day. So basically this is a real problem. So that's why it's what I was like early really early, like, um, looking into was some sort of opportunities of, um, fulfillment solutions. They basically most of the time, like based in us, I had a logistics partner in Houston, Texas, that was really like taking care from the logistics perspective, taking care of South America. So it was not like all this, it is basically then from your perspective, somewhat like a intermediate, it's more like an FBA, like an FBM, right? You. You have to send it somewhere that it can be shipped from there. Also single item orders, but it shortens the distances. And this logistics partner was, for example, also the logistics partner for the, for, for Amazon, right? They're using it for their Mexican approach for Amazon Mexico, basically. Right. So this is what I would say is always a good, good idea to bring down a little bit the distances, right? Um, you should not try to ship, you know, like end to end to a Peruan customer in South Peru, right? That might take ages, also the costs. So this is the idea over there. Also, every time there was some sort of BA-like solution, fulfillment by the marketplace, I tried to use it like, first of all, as an entry point. Yeah, doesn't matter whether that was Rakuten in Japan or, or take a lot in South America. If there is some sort of an opportunity, you are shipping there in bulk and they're doing the rest. Of course, fees apply, but I mean, compare it with your fees, right? For forcing item orders across the globe. 
I think the, the one thing that I would think that would maybe speak against that when you're selling on a hundred plus platforms like BBG is the idea of having for each of those platforms, another inventory to worry about. You know, if, if for every small marketplace that you start selling on, you've got another hundred or a thousand or 10,000 products sitting somewhere gathering dust, it could become quite hard to lose track of that. So then you really need to make sure you've got a good system of some sort, to keep track of where all of your products are and, and what's selling where. Um, because obviously you also don't want things to go out of stock either. So that's a, a lot to manage. Yeah, that's true. Even in a today's world is um, like D2C shipments, someone is ordering and you are shipping it from here. I mean, you know, the Chinese guys, they're doing it, right? They're saying, okay, but it's a competition. It's a pricing topic, right? If you're offering something for 10% of the price in the territory you are like shipping into, they will wait three weeks, right? But if you have like normal pricings and... Um, you are the manufacturer and um, it's one price across the globe, let's say, basically, then you have to look for some sort of solutions to handle those distances, right? Uh, regardless whether it's New Zealand or, or even Fiji or whatsoever, they won't wait in a today's world, globalized world, like three weeks for your stuff because what you are selling is so amazing and incredible and only you are offering it. That's simply not true. So you have to you have to get as close as possible to the customer, right? Um, I mean, this is basically adopting the old idea of distributors in a certain territories, right? I mean, that's basically what it is today. The globe is still huge. So you have to find solutions, right? Um, until there is no, you know, like, I don't know, postal system across the world, you know, I mean, it would be possible, right, to deliver every parcel across the globe within the next day. Yeah, there are plane connections everywhere and something. It's not there and it's not existing. So you have to find solutions. I think that's also hard in parts of the world where you don't even have a street address. You know, many, many countries still don't have, it's not normal to have a house number. You know, it's the house past the other house on the corner of those two streets near the post office or whatever it might be. So there's, there's no end of hurdles there from the logistics side of things. But that's a really good point. And one which we've talked about a little bit on this podcast already is just the, the B2B opportunity there when expanding internationally, because it's almost, it's almost two for one in the sense that if you're looking for a way to start selling to your consumers in New Zealand, because let's say you're doing a really good job of marketing your brand you've got some good influencer marketing going, or you managed to get a viral video on TikTok or something, and, and you know, you're getting requests for your product in the backwaters of New Zealand and somebody somewhere there wants to get your product, but they just can't order it. Chances are there's a business in New Zealand that would buy not one of your product, but 10,000 of your product, and they'll just stick it in their warehouse because it's complementary to the rest of their range. And then they will fulfill those orders to that end consumer. And yeah, okay, you give up a bit of margin, but if you're the brand owner, you're doing that anyway, and, you're, and you've got the margin to make that work. So I think there's a lot of opportunities there within those solutions that you're talking about. Indeed. Uh, but for example, BBG is not working with distributors. Yeah, but there's, they're looking like for the most direct way as possible. And yeah, I mean, if there's a marketplace and this marketplace is offering some sort of a fulfillment, own fulfillment solution, then rather use it. Um, because I mean... I've worked with so many distributors in the past, right? With my own companies, um, countless for certain territories. And I mean, 
everyone has to make its own experiences, right? When it comes to distributors, but you are basically just 10 SKUs or 10, 10 items of their portfolio, right? They have 10,000 of items maybe, and you represent 10. You cannot expect, you know, that you are in the front line of the store, you know, in the first, first row or in the best shelf or whatsoever, you know, virtually, right? So that's why if, if you give up control, there's always a risk. If you're like dealing with a dedicated marketplace, you are steering the, the, the marketing yourself. You are, you know, like have your hands on everything that happens with your stuff, how it is offered, how the listing looks like and everything. That's more work, but it's more direct than simply handing over stuff to, to distributors. And then, you know, I'm hearing from every single CEO, I'm here, hey, we have a good distributor in Switzerland. They're doing a great job. And I say, come on, guy, never seen your stuff in Switzerland, right? Uh, I don't know um, where they're selling it. Ah, the numbers are actually... Mm. So if you don't care about Switzerland, if you don't care about certain territory, I don't know. Yeah, Bhutan or Nepal, and you are happy about every single unit sold, okay. And there's no marketplace and there's no alternative um, you could use as direct as possible. Okay, there are territories definitely where you need a distributor. Could also be a political thing, right? Thinking about China or something where you need some sort of partnerships and, and whatsoever, right? Um, yeah, that's my two cents here. I appreciate that. You're, and and uh, you're obviously living in Switzerland. I haven't thought to ask, but can you maybe just for our listeners, just give some opportunities, some marketplace opportunities that do exist in Switzerland? Because I think there's a lot of names that maybe aren't as well known that as they should be. I mean, basically, the, here's Galaxus, right? It's, it's the Amazon here. Uh, Digitech and, and Galaxus were like number one and number two players here, and they collaborated they went together one bought each one bought the other um and that's pretty huge here let's say right so um that's galaxus um they are coming like from this electronics and and stuff from that direction like like a media market or something but today they're really a wholesale platform amazon alike really similar there's also ricardo it's like the ebay here and that's in both platforms are, I would say, also the reason why Amazon and, and, and eBay were not really, you know, like successful here, let's say, mm -hmm. in terms of an old platform. Of course, Switzerland is pretty small, but, um, people have, are spending a lot. So there is maybe a territory worth looking into, but Galaxus is everywhere and, and Ricardo is dictating the auction side here of the market. And what about Mano? 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 Mm. You mean this Mano Mano? This no, friend? no, uh, Man Mano, like uh, M A N O R. Uh -huh. um, it's like a supermarket. No, it's board um, chain or something. I've seen this. I think it's a little bit like it's like a German, uh, like a Swiss version of like a Galleria. Yeah, I, I've I've seen it like on the streets, but not in the e-commerce perspective. Maybe yeah, maybe there's. Because they approached us recently about an integration as well, but I've not heard too much about mm -hmm. it from a marketplace perspective. 
Yeah, here's, there's a store not far away from me. I know it, but from the from the e-commerce perspective, never touched it or never kept okay. close. Interesting. Yeah, <laughs> no, this, well, it's not the, you know, might be there a hidden champion somehow, but uh, yeah, never seen it, like even never heard of. Hey, so look, let's, let's uh, bring it home, Malta. Um, I, I like to finish off just by asking people who are experts like yourself, how do you continue to be an expert? Where do you go to keep up to date on what's actually happening in the marketplace world? Oh, uh, indeed, half of the day I'm I'm reading, right? Uh, that's pretty much true. I'm reading like all of the time, internet, certain certain sites I'm visiting every day, certain info pages or or e-commerce news pages or whatsoever. Also, like several blogs and and, and stuff. I'm, I'm reading, reading, reading every day, and I'm talking and communicating every day with the platforms, with founders, with um, knowledgeable people and people who have knowledge, right, um, in the space. So it's all about communication and informing directly. That's all. That's what's all about, right? And practicing. Yeah, um, not only in the BBG, but um, really most of the time, I'm like solving things every day, touching issues. And, and opportunities like every day. So that's also, you know, like teaching you, improving you and, and, and giving you some sort of an idea of where it is going to, where it's aiming on, what are the, what is the new stuff? What are the changes ahead? What's coming? What are the rumors and everything? So, and do you think, are there any specific resources that you would guide people towards, um, who would, who are interested in staying up to date on marketplaces beyond Amazon? Are there any good? blogs or websites that you could point people towards? Yeah, I would say um, it depends a little bit on the territory, but Internet World in Germany, Wortfilter in Germany are like great go-to places, not only for Germany, I would say. Um, there's also Channel X in the UK, right? Um, worth visiting. Yeah, Marketplace Pools is, there's not that much happening, but if he's writing something, it's, it's always, you know, it has balls, right. And it's worth looking into and yeah, and there's countless more. Um, but those are the ones I would truly suggest. Brilliant. Okay. Malta. Well, let's leave it there for today. Uh, I think that's been a really great episode. Lots of good insights there from, from you and really nice to hear the story of Berlin Brands group as well, from your perspective. So yeah, thanks again for joining us and see you soon. Thank you, Jesse. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Well, I hope you got as much enjoyment and information out of that episode as I did. Malt has been in the e-commerce game for a while, so it was really interesting to get his perspective on marketplaces. Thanks again for joining for this episode of Marketplace Jungle. I really do look forward to hearing any feedback that you've got and look forward to seeing you next time.